Welcome to the Gen Z Stoic Podcast, where every week we strive to lead younger generations on a path to virtue through the insight of Stoic teachings and personal stories from our lives as Gen Z Stoics. Welcome to this week's episode of the Gen Z Stoic Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ren. And I'm your co-host, Mateo. And this week, with it being Valentine's Day on Wednesday... We are covering the Stoic concept of love and how Stoics love within relationships romantically, but not necessarily romantically, and we'll get into that. But with that being said, today is Super Bowl Sunday, so we're going to start out with some non-Stoic stuff here, get this out of the way, our two Super Bowl predictions before the Super Bowl happens today. Uh, We recorded this at 11.36 on Sunday, so if we get it accurate. Mountain time, that's standard mountain, it's 10.36 here in Los Angeles. Yep, so if we get it accurate. It's because we know. Don't believe me? Check it out for yourself. There you go. 1036. Oh, he's got proof. Right. Like proof. holding up the newspaper. But so with that start, being said. I got to hear. All right. I got to hear this. So the reality is, is that Patrick Mahomes does not lose in, in the playoffs. He very rarely loses. I don't believe in Brock Purdy. You know, he's had a really good season. I don't believe in Brock Purdy. I think their defense... The 49ers defense got shredded by the Lions last week. Mahomes is a much better quarterback than Jared Goff. And so as much as I hate it, because I I really I really cannot stand seeing Taylor Swift make out with a dude after he wins on national television, I'm gonna have to go with the Chiefs twenty seven to twenty one. That's gonna be my prediction. Yeah, I would vote for the Niners and believe it or not, living out here, I have a lot of friends who are Niners fans. But uh do I think it's likely that Purdy pulls this off? No, pretty much for the reasons that you said. You know, we saw last, like, the Lions almost beat the Niners, and then the Niners had this insane comeback, which, in my opinion, could have been scripted. So if the NFL is scripted, I don't know. Who knows? But using statistics, I think the Chiefs are more likely to win, but I definitely would vote Niners because, you know, I just anything to not see Mahomes and the drama from the Chiefs go on national television. Anyway, to get into the meat of today's episode. First of all, we should note that that is an emotional-based prediction. Emotional-based prediction. I put my emotions to the side and picked the Chiefs. But like you said, uh, we saw, we see examples of relationships that seem healthy, Taylor Swift and but, Travis Kelsey. I did acknowledge the fact, though, that it's likely, like using statistics, that the Chiefs are going to win. Do I want it? No. But if I had to pick who's going to win, probably the Chiefs. Like. So now I flipped this prediction. Let's go, guys. But I want the Niners <laughs> to win. But I want the Niners to win. Uh, but, no, yeah. but with that being said, we see examples of healthy relationships, healthy relationships everywhere. Um, is Taylor Swift going to put Travis Kelsey in a song a year from now? Probably. But with that being said, this week is Valentine's Day. Uh, we both have our respective feelings about Valentine's Day. Anybody who knows me thinks uh, knows that I think it's a corporate scam. And it emphasizes only caring about your partner one day of the year rather than just doling out that quality love and attention and maybe a little gift giving throughout the entire course of the year. But with that being said, Stoics had a very interesting perspective on love because Stoics did not classify love as necessarily a positive emotion. And we can very easily see why in our generation, especially, we seem to misuse love and we chase love and we get into unhealthy relationships, unhealthy dynamics, very terrible situations just in the name of wanting to feel loved. So love can do some pretty crazy things to people. And that's why Stoics classified it as not necessarily a positive emotion, but rather an indifferent. 
However, when you look at the history of Stoics, maybe don't look at Zeno when it comes to love, but when you look at Seneca, who was happily married and had a child, when you look at Marcus Aurelius, who was very happily married, when you look at Cato, who had children and loved them very much, all of these things show that Stoics were very, very capable of all types of love, really, familial love, platonic love with, between friends, and they were also capable of romantic love. So today we're going to discuss how they were able to pursue romantic love while still maintaining that stoic perspective of, you know, self-mastery and acceptance and not really being too tied to love in a sense, but still being able to love fully and engage in happy relationships. Well, and it's interesting you mentioned Zeno that um he believed and there's it's really interesting. So I am quoting from uh the Marginalian website about uh, Zeno's view on love, but it says that Zeno argued that sex between human beings who have learned the proper principles of respect and true friendship is a good thing, and that the ideal society would be one in which sex was enjoyed freely without the proprietarian bonds of marriage. So this is interesting because as we've sort of discussed, and we actually have you know discussed hookup culture before on the podcast and stuff like that, we're like, okay, this actually is a part of Stoicism that we don't necessarily agree with. Now, does that mean it's like objectively wrong? No, but this is like our opinion about this stuff. Because then you get into like Epictetus and one of his quotes is, when you're properly grounded in life, you don't need to look outside of yourself for approval. And now that's not necessarily focused on relationships and love, but it certainly can be. Because what Epictetus notes about love is that, we'll get into this in a moment, but the inevitable loss of love, because we know that at some point, whether it's death or a breakup, uh, our partner will not be with us forever. So retaining the memory of, again, from the marginalian, uh, the memory of love sweetness without letting the pain of parting and loss and bitter is perhaps the greatest challenge for the bereaved heart and its greatest achievement. So he's acknowledging here that love, right, is sort of the heart's greatest achievement. It's something like true love, something that you're grounded in, you should be going after. Where Zeno's sort of opposite. He's like, you know, sex can be enjoyed freely. And now, obviously, sex and love are opposite. But the idea of loving one person, loving one person, being with one person, right, is different than what Zeno is saying. So it's very, it's two conflicting ideologies within the same school of philosophy, two different philosophers. But it's interesting to kind of see the juxtaposition of the two ideas. Yeah, no, that's why I said that Zeno is maybe not the person to look to when we consider the Stoic perspective of love, because it seems like every Stoic philosopher after Zeno disagreed with this perspective. Uh, you brought up Epictetus, and he has a quote where he he basically says that marriage is one of the principal duties of life. He says, now appropriate actions are of three kinds. First, those relating to mere existence. Secondly, those relating to existence of a particular kind. And thirdly, those that are themselves principal duties. And what are those? Fulfilling one's role as a citizen, marrying, having children, honoring God, taking care of one's parents, and in a word, having our desires and aversions, and our motives to act and or not to act, as each of them ought to be in accordance with our nature. There's also many quotes from Seneca talking about the duty of a man to have a wife, have a woman, take care of them, just as they take care of their parents, just as they take care of everybody around them. So Stoics obviously loved very deeply and one of the end goals in living in accordance with nature was finding a partner to marry and to have children with and that i, I think that's really ultimately what the stoic perspective on love is is that stoics do love deeply and they do love maybe not i wouldn't classify it as passionately because stoics obviously moderate those passions when it comes to emotion 
but they love very deeply and care very much for the people who they choose to romantically involve in their life. But they do it in moderation in their own unique way. And the way that you do that is the techniques that we're going to talk about today to maintain a healthy relationship. Now, it, 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 it must be mentioned that maintaining a healthy relationship is extremely, extremely difficult in today's age. Now, we obviously didn't grow up in the 1950s or 60s, so we can't really necessarily comment what it was like to date when you're 19 during those times. And those times certainly had their negatives as well. But in today's day and age, it seems exceedingly difficult for people in our generation to form healthy relationships that are long lasting and aren't fleeting and aren't based on, you know, lust or these negative forms of love and are instead based in truly, um, I guess, sensual, natural type of love where it's something that Stoics say is the natural duty. And so I think moving on to the way that you can do that in this generation, first and foremost is actually self-mastery. Just with, as with anything in Stoicism, it starts with yourself. And when you think about toxic relationships, which is a term that you know, our generation has kind of coined, started maybe with millennials, but toxic relationships. What comes to my mind when I hear toxic relationships are two emotionally immature people who have come together and don't know how to love. And, and Titus has a very good quote where he says that whoever then understands what is good and bad also knows how to love. And what he's talking about here is that it takes you truly being wise and truly being in control of yourself and your emotions for you to love fully and to love properly. And so if you're going into a relationship and you don't know what your values are, or you don't know what your purpose is, or you get angry very easily, it leads to very negative things occurring in that relationship. We talk about all the time with like domestic violence and things within the family home. It starts with men who can't control their anger and can't control their emotions. And similarly, when you have women who do kind of crappy things to men in relationships, it's because they can't control their emotions either. And so it's kind of a both parties situation where you need two parties for a healthy relationship have to come in knowing who they are, what they are, and how they manage and control themselves emotionally and just overall. Without that, you're going to have these toxic relationships. And I'm sure as you're listening, you can think of, of an example within your personal life. I certainly can think of four or five right now of people who are together and are toxic. And I think you can realize that both of those people are maybe not that emotionally mature if you think about it in a true sense. So that first step is self-mastery. And we have all those examples. We're trying not to name names today, but those are just common examples we think of in terms of the toxicity that we've kind of coined in this generation. And I'll back your statement with a quote from Seneca that says, the most powerful man is he who has himself in his own power, right? That is backing your statement with the evidence of a Stoic, right? They believe this too. And it sucks because the thing about self-mastery in relationships is I, I respect people who can say, I am not at a good place with myself, therefore I am not ready for a relationship because those are the people that understand that in order to love someone else, you have to fully love who you are first and be you know, confident and strong with who you are. So if you're not in a good position with your own mind, with your own self, then you're only going to hinder the, your ability to have a positive relationship if you dive right into one based off of an emotional choice. Now, it sucks too because you're bringing this up like we're not going to name names, but we don't need to name names for this example. Now, more than ever, you know, we see these relationship like accounts on social media or relationships just being televised publicly, like very personal details of relationships are just out on the media all the time for like famous people. And that kind of sucks because now that's sort of, I guess, flowing in, like seeping into the relationships of people who aren't maybe 
considered to be famous like us, right? We're not famous. We're just normal people who don't have hundreds of thousands or millions of followers. And so when that sort of idea gets seeped into the, to people who are not famous, then you get people who think, oh, I should be sharing everything about my relationship everywhere, which sucks because we know that privacy is sort of a something that we should value today that isn't really valued because everything's out there all the time. And so we, ha we have this example, right, from the people that we look up to, the people we idolize. And then if it's a negative example, it's going to seep down into our relationships and our lifestyles, whether it's directly or indirectly. So identifying that too is we, we look up to certain people that we didn't, you and I wouldn't necessarily classify as having a healthy or good relationship. And so mastering yourself, you are able to identify those things. Like even though these people are famous, that doesn't mean they have everything figured out. When you have self-mastery and you are competent enough to understand what is right and wrong to you and the objective truths and you're not really hindered by your emotion, uh, it's not hindering your ability to see what the truth is, then you can sort of identify what is right and wrong and what in a relationship is good because you have mastered your own mind and you have mastered the ability to think rationally about a situation instead of emotionally. And I, I there, there's a point to be made there about the celebrity aspect where I feel like they're if you are somebody who wants to like showcase your relationship and it's a very public relationship, it's probably not the strongest one. Uh, you know, celebrity relationships fall apart very frequently. And I think it's because of that attention. This is a point we can get to in, in later moments, but there's something about publicizing a relationship that makes it less special. And I think less strong in a sense. Now, the final point I like to make about self mastery is that when you're somebody who is in control of yourself in control of your emotions, you know what you're doing you're a practicing stoic, I would like to say, how I phrase it. You're not somebody who's going to chase after love. Like you're not somebody who's going to be desperate. You're not somebody who's going to be, I always need to be with somebody. You're not going to be like, I, I know men who tell me they can't be alone with their own thoughts. And that's somebody who's not in control of their self, not in their own kind of mindset. And what's, there's, a, there's a good quote from Seneca where he says that every individual can make himself happy. External goods are of trivial importance and without much influence in either direction. Prosperity does not elevate the sage and adversity does not depress him. And so what he's saying here is that you can be happy on your own. And I think people too often rely on external sources for them to be happy where they're like, oh, you know, I'm depressed about this one thing. I'm going to go find, you know, somebody to be a shoulder to cry on and it's this kind of romantic relationship and this desire to just be simply loved and i think we ultimately need to learn how to love ourselves first and be happy with ourselves first be happy in our own company before we can then go and externalize it because then if the inevitability comes that you lose that romantic partner you're not absolutely crushed because there's so many people who lose a partner and they're like oh i can't go on i'm so sad about it and it's kind of like the cliche in like movies where they get broken up with and then they spend a month at home, they get fat, they watch, they eat ice cream and watch TV and all that kind of stuff. And that's what I think we picture when we think of a breakup. If you want, if you're somebody who wants to have these healthy relationships that begin healthy, maintain a healthy relationship, and if they end, then it's a healthy ending, it's a natural breakup, then you need to be somebody who has mastered themselves because you know how to be alone, you know how to be happy with yourself. And you don't have to depend on this other person to make you happy and fulfill this void because your partner doesn't want to do that. As somebody, anybody, I feel like with common sense can say, I don't want to enter a relationship and be the babysitter who's handholding this, these, this person's emotions. 
Like, I don't want to have to sit here and deal with, should you listen and have communication and care about each other's problems? Yes. But you shouldn't, it shouldn't be this dynamic where this person, oh, you know, my significant other comes home and they just complain about their day and I have to handhold them through it and tell them that everything's going to be okay. That's not, that's not the marker of a healthy relationship. A healthy relationship is, yes, you discuss your problems. Yes, you have open communication, all those great things. But ultimately, there are things you keep to yourself and you don't rely on your partner to make you happy or fulfill any emotional void because you enter that relationship without any emotional void whatsoever. And it's good that you brought that up because Epictetus literally has a quote that says, whoever then understands what is good can also know how to love. But he who cannot distinguish good from bad and things which are neither good nor bad from both, can he possess the power of loving? To love then is only in the power of the wise. That's crazy. That is, I already used that quote. It's crazy. I know. And I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm reemphasizing this because we, like, we, t- we touched on the quote and then we both brought up points. And so the, the key takeaway from self-mastery is being wise. And in taking philosophy classes right now, I'm also learning that the, it's not just the Stoics who thought this, like Plato thought this, you know, there, there are many of philosophers that I'm learning about that valued wisdom. This is the common theme across a lot of philosophies is wisdom is sort of the sought out virtue to a happy life. And so what I'm the, to close, I guess, with self mastery and then move on is to master yourself is to know what is right or wrong by being wise. So if you are a person who, like you said, has to come home and babysit someone else's emotion, that person isn't what a stoic would consider to be wise because they are unsure of what is right or wrong. And that's fine. That's not, you know, judging those people, but that's saying maybe you're not ready for a very serious relationship. Now we should probably clarify people like, well, what do we consider to be, you know, a healthy relationship? What do we consider to be a strong, meaningful relationship? Well, one, uh, apart from Zeno, okay, we're going to completely disregard Zeno's view on love here. We're going to consider every, almost every Stoic philosopher after Zeno um, is dating for dating to marry, essentially. All the Stoics had wives and they, you know, they had children. And so the point is, is dating, it wasn't something that, you know, loving someone was just a casual thing. It was very intentional. It was very meaningful. And, so- and as a Stoic, right, everything is based in virtue. So a healthy relationship, therefore, is a virtuous relationship. And so a virtuous relationship is you grow together. And ultimately, yes, it does lead to marriage, because then that's a lifelong commitment to grow together and to be mired in virtue and a virtuous relationship. And, you know, people kind of cringe at the idea of dating for marriage, but that's ultimately how you, that's the foundation of strong relationships, right? What is the point of dating somebody if you're like, oh, in six months, you know, I'm going to outgrow them and I'm going to leave. Then that's not somebody you should be with in the first place. And therefore we can't classify it as a strong relationship. So that's just the point I would like to make. If we're, if we're clarifying what a strong relationship is, it's one based in virtue. And you'll see in all of these things that we kind of list out are characteristics of this healthy relationship. It's because it's based in virtue and because these virtuous relationships are the ones that last the longest and have the strongest bonds. Yes. And with that, it's a good segue into the next thing that's important for, you know, a stoic relationship is having uh, similar opinions and values with the person. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to agree on absolutely and utterly everything. It's actually better if you have someone where you have certain disagreements about, you know, certain things, and then you can challenge each other, question each other and whatnot. However, now when I say opinions and values, I'm going, I'm not going to be political, but I'm going to use this example because it's very important as politics are sort of enveloping the entirety of our 
you know, beliefs and ideologies today, it seems like. Typically, and there are statistics on this, and I don't know the exact numbers, but relationships where people share similar political values tend to be more successful than those who don't. And, you know, coming from a sort of place where I, we have seen political ideologies clash, it's rough, right? It sucks. Because if you are someone who t- deeply cares about, you know, and I say political, but it's more wor- just world issues in general. If you have your stance and opinions on certain issues, right, and your, a pro- your uh, partner has the opposite stance, well, if you are truly firm in those beliefs and you are constantly clashing, it's hard. It's not impossible, but it's a lot harder to have a relationship with somebody who is not sharing the core values and core opinions that you hold simply because it's just two very, very, very different people. And I know they say opposites attract, but part of me wants to say that's not always true. Maybe opposites attract, but they don't always stay. They don't always stay together because when it comes to really understanding who somebody is, if you have two very strong-willed people with two very different opinions, not good. doesn't usually work. Oh, and I, I think I agree, but I think the emphasis when we say similar values should be around morals and ethics. I think there's certainly an argument to be made that, yes, you shouldn't like be on completely different sides of the political spectrum. If you have somebody who's like, the government should take care of everything, you know, universal health care, all these kind of more progressive views, and then you have somebody who's like, the government sucks, I'm anti-government, they're probably not going to coexist together in a healthy dynamic within a relationship. But if you have a little bit of variation within your political beliefs, I feel like that's that's acceptable. I, but where it's not acceptable to have really much variation is with morals and ethics. Because if you're somebody who, you know, has virtue ethics, the stoic virtue ethics, and you also have morals that, you know, maybe prioritize being genuine, being honest, being sincere, are you really going to be fine with getting into a relationship with somebody who lies or doesn't like to communicate openly? It's it's not going to work out. It's going to lead to an unhealthy imbalance. We talk about balance all the time. And I really like when we talked about um, bringing back, you know, traditional masculinity, traditional femininity, we were talking about how it's an equal balance and that it looks different, but that there's an equal balance within the relationship. And that's what this means is that there's a similar values balance here where you match up. Is there a little bit of variation? Yes. And that's where we get into the both sides of the equation are a little bit different, but they come together in an equal way for a sustainable relationship. And so when you look at all of these um, virtues that we talk about, the ethics we talk about that Stoics uphold, the moral values that we talk about all the time on this podcast, we like to believe that the people who listen to this podcast have similar values. But the first thing you need to do, it's why we talked about self-mastery first, is check what those values are. Check what your what your morals are. And then discuss those very openly early on within a relationship. Because you don't want to be in a relationship where you're six months in and you find out that they have some moral belief that completely diametrically opposes yours. And now you're having to sit there and contemplate, hmm, this person doesn't like to talk about X, Y, and Z. And yet I'm a very open communicator. You don't want to think about that like six months, a year in. You want to get that out of the way first. And more often than not, unfortunately, it's not a judgment necessarily of that other person's character, but it's a judgment that their character cannot coexist in a healthy relationship with yours. So you don't, you don't necessarily want to change those values in that person. You don't want to work to completely change their morals and ethics. Now you can make that judgment yourself, how, how opposed they are, 
how different they are, whether the work is worth it to bring them closer together. But ultimately, more often than not, you're going to want somebody who is very closely aligned on those morals and ethics. If it's somebody who, you know, I always think about the example, I would really, really like within a relationship, if I found a woman who was very invested in stoicism, very invested in philosophy, and upheld a lot of those kind of ethical and moral beliefs, that would be great. And at that point, I would then maybe cave a little bit on political beliefs or things of that nature. Because if we're putting it on a pedestal, right, it's these morals and ethics that build the character of a person, right? So these are what you should prioritize most in terms of similarity. We've stressed very importantly that politics and all of these things are not markers of your identity. They certainly can be, and there are people who make it that way. But there's no, you can't, you can't have a set of moral beliefs and ethical beliefs and not make that like a large part of your identity. You can't separate the two. You can with politics. And that's, that's the point to be made is that when you're pursuing these relationships very, very early on, check that you have similar values when it comes to morals, when it comes to ethics, and how you believe you should conduct yourself in your behavior. Because, you know, if you have somebody who has maybe of the Zeno belief and, you know, doesn't prioritize loyalty, and you're somebody who very much cherishes loyalty, it's not, it's not going to work out because there's going to be no trust, and trust is the foundation of these relationships. So to establish that strong base, that strong foundation, that trust, check those values very, very early on. And I think it's good that you specify that it's more about uh, morals because the only reason I bring up the political example is um, it's pretty easy to see. It's pretty common. It's pretty easy to understand. But yeah, it's more about, it's not about the political aspect of it. And that's why I said I don't want to get political. It's, it's about the values you hold deep down. And also a good example of that, like if you're, so, like you said, you, the Zeno example, like if you're someone who's more of an Epictetus kind of guy and you meet someone who's more of a, you know, Zeno kind of person, you're like, ah, you know, but if you, and that's exactly what it looks like. If you are someone who like wants to date to marry and you meet someone who really is only dating to like have fun or for the experience, you're like, okay, okay. It's probably not, probably not what's best for me, but it takes, it doesn't matter how much you think you like that person at first. It's going to take a rational decision to say like, I, this person's amazing and I really do like this person, but I know that they are not what is best because we do not share this similar value. And that's really going to you know, screw us over in the long term. Yeah, one more point to make is we kind of the perspective you had there was great. And it's, you know, if you're dating to marry, you have these values and somebody that has values that you don't like and you think are maybe not the proper ones. You don't say, well, this person's disgusting. You treat them poorly. You say that's your perspective. You are allowed to have that you know, yada, 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 but it doesn't work for me. And that's perspective to have is not like a judgmental aspect towards the person that you were interested in, but yet a kind of reflection and introspection type of thing where you're like, these values don't match up with mine. So that's okay. And the point, the reason I'm making this point is that within our culture, you have people who are like, oh yeah, full on board with hookup culture. And then you also have the side that I think people think we are more closely aligned with, which it's like, you know, very modest women. We did argue for traditional feminism and femininity. And the, the that side makes the argument about how like women who do that are kind of gross. And, you know, these women with like, I always think about the videos where 
they have this app and they ask women like, what's your type, like your age range and their height and their race and their income and all that thing. And then they try to make them look silly when it's like, you know, only 0.05% of the population matches what you just listed. I think when anybody does that, women or men, I think that's great, actually. And you'll notice when we talk about all these standards that it seems that we have with these relationships as Stoics, you need to have like, you only want the 0.01% to be in a relationship with you because it's a marker of that self-respect. And you'll notice that you can attribute everything we're talking about today to self-respect, which seems to be lacking in a lot of our generation. So that, that's just one point I'd like to make is that that's the perspective you need to maintain when you're approaching these partners is if they have values that don't align, if it seems like they don't have self-respect, it's not you kind of shame them or say, well, that's gross. Like what, what's wrong with you? It's like, you know all right, you, you do you, I'm going to go do my own thing. And we're going to leave it be because you can't really change anybody's behavior. All you can do is continue to pursue and believe in love and pursue that partner who is the 0.01% who matches those values. Right. And it's, it's also, I will add, you know, you said it is good to have very, to date the point zero five percent whatever, but also you have to make sure that what you are looking for isn't because it benefits you solely right? Like you mentioned, like, oh, income, like you don't want to date someone simply for their income and not be like the reason that your standards are so high, right? You want it to be for the both of you and for your family, as we argued for, you know, traditional masculinity, femininity, the whole idea of a relationship is family oriented, whatnot. The point I'm trying to make is you should make sure your standards are for you and the person you're with and not just for your benefit, just just making sure. A, we're a mutually beneficial relationship, exactly. which means that it's the healthy, strong variation. Yes. And so with that, um, that was a good, that's exactly what I was saying is don't judge. Don't be like, oh, I just be, and that might be your initial reaction is, oh, like this person values this. Like, I can't believe they do that. That's fine. You can think that, but don't say, you know, there's no reason to go and, you know, shame someone for having a different belief. The best revenge is to be unlike your enemy. So if your enemy is going to judge you for what you do, if you go and do the exact same thing, you are no better. Moving on acceptance this is actually a great leeway and so going deeper into what acceptance i guess means stemming from having similar opinions and values there are obviously there's no such thing as a perfect relationship we can all admit that now you could find someone as close to your opinions and values as humanely possible and there are still going to be flaws that you identify in that person and now flaws are subjective let's be clear about that uh and so acceptance is you're accepting the flaws as part of this person because if you understand that someone has your morals and beliefs and shares those strongly and will be with you till the end of time with those beliefs and will stand by you, you really understand that any flaw that you see is so insignificant, right? Now, if it's a really big deal, like lying and stuff, that's a big flaw. But if you've already gone to the point to say, we need to have similar opinions and values and you're not going to be with someone who's like an immense you know, liar or very dishonest. So for me, acceptance is accepting that even though we do share the same values and same opinions, we might have, you know, very different beliefs on something else, or we might have different traditions or customs, I guess you could say, but accepting, I guess the differences that you have apart from the opinions and values is what actually makes you stronger is both acknowledging that the differences, the things you need to accept are what are actually going to grow you from the starting point of sharing the morals and the values. 
Yes, and so it's kind of a two-factor thing with acceptance. So one is exactly what you said. There's a stoic concept of amorphity, you know, you love your fate. And loving your fate means that when you enter a romantic relationship and you're with this partner, you have to accept them fully for who they are in the moment. So their flaws, their strengths, their weaknesses, their temperament, everything about them, you have to accept fully. Because as a stoic, you aren't really accepting your fate if you don't do that. And you're not, you're going to be angered easily if, you know, you don't accept that, oh, you know, if my partner stubs their toe, they get really angry. Or if their team loses, they get angry for a day. If you don't accept those things and it makes you upset, it makes you angry, you in yourself are becoming flawed. You in yourself are not practicing these stoic values. So the the thing we didn't mention about these similar values is when you accept these similar values, that means that you, or when you enter into a relationship and they have similar values, that means that it's a lot easier to accept that person because you have to accept them 100%, 100%. And you have to give 100% of yourself to that relationship because the relationship, while yes, if it's a virtuous relationship, like I mentioned, it should be continuous development towards that virtue, that perfect, perfect virtue. You also have to realize maybe this person doesn't grow at the same rate I do. And so it seems like they stay stagnant for a while. And so if they do that, if they're the same person five years from now, I mean, maybe that's a bit upsetting, but everybody progresses at a different rate. Are you going to be okay with that? If you're somebody who's in that relationship and you've dated them for maybe like three, four months, and now you get to know them intimately and know their temperament, all these things about them, are you okay with if fate has it that they stay that way for a while? Are you going to be able to live with that? Acceptance is the way that you ensure that that's the case. And then the other part of acceptance that we haven't talked about is acceptance of anything that happens within relationships in the dating scene in love. So nowadays we talk about how Gen Z is having a hard time with relationships. And there's a myriad of factors for that that we don't have time to get into today. But it means that within the landscape of dating, you know, it's very, very rare that one person finds another person when they're, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, whenever they start dating, they find one person, they date that person, they marry that person, and they live a long, happy life together. If life was like that, we'd all be very, very happy. And I would prefer that life was like that. But unfortunately, the way that fate has it is life is not like that. You will get your heart broken. People will leave you. You know, you might be betrayed. Or even if you're somebody who is lucky enough to find that one person very early on and you have a happy relationship, somebody's going to die first. And so there's always a concept of, of loss within love. And, you know, that, that may be harsh wording, but it's the inevitability is that inevitably within that relationship, you will lose your partner at some time. And unfortunately, most people will lose multiple partners who they were invested with over time. We've both had experience with that. And so the reality is, the way that you push through that and you remain hopeful and you remain healthy and having these standards that mean that you can get into these relationships continually with the hope that they pan out is accepting that that's part of the reality. Accepting that those difficult things are going to happen all the time because that's kind of the name of the game and while it's kind of sucks and it's painful you have to get through kind of these hardships to get to the success that's with anything in life we've gone over a variety of topics where you say it's 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 tough initially like the gym you know it's tough initially but then you start to love it and you start to just remain hopeful and love is one of the most important things in the world so you should definitely have that perspective towards it because there's so many quotes that say, you know, when you lose the idea and hope that you can be loved, like you lose the purpose of life. 
Stoics didn't believe that necessarily, but love plays a large role in people's lives. And so the way that you kind of maintain that mindset where you're going to enter every relationship with the idea that not like, oh, I don't trust this person or these issues that we see with people who, are, who brag about it. It seems like we're like, oh, I have trust issues. Oh, I have X, Y, and Z issues. The way that you avoid all that is accepting that it's all part of it, right. that you're going to strive through these hardships and you're going to struggle, but ultimately you're going to be rewarded because you're going to find this strong partner. And that is, it's a good reason that you bring that up about acceptance is, and that is what the Stoics called premeditatio malorum. Now that quite literally means the premeditation and then mal, which means bad, uh, malorum is, so it means the premeditation of the evils and the troubles that may be ahead. Now, like you said, this ties in very strongly with the morphotiasy acceptance and the love of fate, right? So basically what premeditatio malorum does is it basically prepares you for what's ahead. We know that even if you've earned something and you've done everything to deserve something, you may not get it because life doesn't really care what you want, which is a harsh reality. But that was something that Epictetus was very big about doing, even so much to the point where he says, if you kiss your child or your wife, say that you only kiss things which are human and thus you will not be disturbed if either of them dies. Now, that's a very harsh way to look at things. But the idea that, but the bigger picture, right, is not, obviously, I think it's in human nature to be disturbed if, you know, your wife dies, right, or your child dies. I don't think that's wrong at all. But what he's saying is, what I think what he is meaning by disturbed is affected long-term to the point where you are incapable of doing anything after, right? Now, mourning in itself is not a bad thing, and being, and grief is not a bad thing at all. Clearly, when we lose the people that we truly love, it is very hard to move past that. But by practicing this concept, it is easier for us to move on. It's not saying that, you know, an easier is going to look different for everybody. But what he's saying is by preparing yourself and accepting that bad things are going to happen, but not fearing these things, just being aware and accepting that this is the truth. This is what will happen. So denying that is illogical and it makes no sense to say, oh no, they're going to live forever. Like I love this person so much. And because I love this person, they're never going to die, blah, blah, blah. That setting yourself up uh, is false hope and is a false reality that you're going to be living in, and you do not want to do that. And he's also saying, in addition to the, like, you have to move on, he's also saying that realizing very early on that you can lose this partner makes you cherish the relationship much, much more. And we mentioned how, you know, Valentine's Day is Wednesday. My biggest problem with Valentine's Day is that it's just kind of this overload of, you know, love and affection on one specific day. We as Stoics talk about how we hate that we mark certain days on the calendar when it's like, oh, time to be productive, like January 1st. Oh, it's time to make New Year's resolutions and be a better person. The calendar shouldn't dictate that. And equally, the calendar shouldn't dictate when you love a person the most. That kind of love and affection that we seem to get where we get balloons and we get all these fancy gifts and everything. You don't have to do that every day, but that sort of attention and affection should be present in your relationship every single day. And that's, I think, what Epictetus is pointing out here is that when you realize that whether it's your wife or your children or just your partner whatsoever, you need to cherish them fully. And the way you do that is you realize that it's kind of applying memento mori, the concept of that, to a relationship is that the relationship, just as your life is not guaranteed tomorrow, neither is the relationship. And so therefore, you need to love fully and really cherish the relationship as much as possible with that in mind that you could lose it tomorrow. And then you'd be okay with it. And so it makes those relationships stronger 
not only because you like realize those negative things can happen and then you have to move on, but it just makes the relationship stronger. And it also means that when you are somebody who's a teenager, early 20s, I don't really know when people get married anymore. I don't know that statistic. I would imagine it's probably getting later and later. But when you're in this dating stage, it also means that you're not going to cling to toxic relationships and weak relationships and relationships that aren't going to pan out because of all of these things, really. You know, self-mastery, you know that you can be alone with yourself, but also you realize that I don't have to accept this negativity. It's an inevitable part of it, but I don't have to be mired in it. I can get myself out of it. So there's there's very, very, very many good perspectives we can take away from that one singular quote, and it's multifaceted. But the, the, the key point to be made here is that acceptance needs to be ever-present. It needs to be everywhere in your relationship. Because if you d- can't accept 100% of your partner and you can't accept 100% of the outcomes, then you aren't fully prepared to be in that relationship. So the full preparation, the full toolkit is accepting 100% of the fate of your partner in the relationship. So if that partner doesn't grow, that's fine. I'm okay with who they are now. If the relationship ends because they cheat on you, that's fine. That's an inevitable part of love. You get back on the horse and you go find a better, more strongly connected partner. Or they An die. inevitable possibility of love. Not every relationship. Just clarify what you yeah. said. Yeah. I have a very cynical view, but it's, it's okay. And, yep. It's understandable, but we don't need to get into that right now. It's, it's okay. But the point being is that acceptance needs to be everywhere within your relationship. And that's ultimately how you strengthen it. That's how you cherish it properly. And the final, the final point that I, I, I would like to make today is that this isn't necessarily mentioned. If you look up like stoic perspective on love, this isn't necessarily mentioned. But one thing that I think is the marker of a successful relationship and is something that's tied together through all these kind of things is you need to be your own independent person. Independence within a relationship is very good. Now, it's ironic because I just mentioned how you should really cherish the time you spend with your partner. But there needs to be time apart from your partner. There needs to be time for you to go do your own independent thing. Now, is it cool to have a relationship where you're doing everything 100% of the time? Maybe. I don't know. I haven't experienced that, so couldn't say. But I, I do know that... It's not what you want. Yes. It's not what you want. That's, exi- I, that's what I know, is it's not what you want. Because your character development should be aided, just like it should be aided by friends and people close to you. It, yes, it should be aided... I think more than your friends by your partner, but it also needs to come independent of that partner. Just like we talk about all the time, how external motivation goes away and therefore you need internal motivation. The same way goes for character development, especially within a relationship is that you have to discover yourself just like we talked about self mastery and what you like in an ever evolving sense while you're in that relationship. So that means that you need to take time apart from your partner. It means that you can't be with them hundred percent of the time. It means that, you need to have independent thoughts and independent actions, independent hobbies, all those things. Now, do you share those with your partner sometimes? Sure. But there needs to be that sense of independence or else you really can't grow as a person and therefore you can't meet the goals of a virtuous, strong relationship. And to add uh, to that point, also my last point to make, but coming from personal experience, um, you do not want to be in a relationship where all you do is focus on a relationship because then you are neglecting yourself. That's it. That's the best way to put it. And there is no, you know, I'm saying from personal experience, there is no hostility. There's no bad blood here. This is just a fact. There is no point in being in a relationship if 
all you're going to focus on is the other person because then you just lose yourself. And it sounds very, you know, cliche, like, oh, like I lost myself loving someone else. But no, it's, it's a real thing. And it looks different for everybody. And it's almost hard to realize that that's what you're doing if you haven't mastered your sense of self, right? If you are not in control of your own mind, it's very hard to realize that you are losing yourself in a relationship because you're so focused on the relationship that you're not focused enough on your own character development, right? There, It's equally as important to develop your own mind as it is to develop the aspects of your relationship. There should be a balance. And all the time, will it be a perfect 50-50? No. But you need to understand that sometimes it may be 80-20 on your side, 80-20 their side. That's fine because life kind of just, you know, it's not always perfectly balanced. But that is something that you need to understand is if there's one takeaway from the point that we're going to make is you still have to be your own person. If you're someone who cannot be apart from your significant other, that's not good. That means you're not capable of being alone and you probably shouldn't be in a relationship in the first place, right? So my final point uh, to sum everything up is when you are looking or not looking because like you said you should never be chasing or like chasing love right you should never be in a chase you should never be desperate but when you are in a position where you are ready for a big serious relationship what we have considered to be a stoic relationship identify these things that we have talked about make sure that you are very careful and taking it slow and do not let the lust consume you before you get to the point where you are absolutely certain about a person. That is also, I guess, a big thing of today's society, why it is very hard, in my opinion, to get into a good relationship is because we often put lust before getting to actually know a person, right? You get a one night stand before you even gotten to know anything remotely important about an individual. And, you know, as we have talked about, sex is a very intimate act and should be, you know, taken very seriously. It's not just something to be freely given away. That is our perspective on this. You can comment on that if you would like. But that's sort of the point is getting to know someone should always come before the lustful parts of a relationship. And that is sort of my closing piece is who the person is, is going to matter a lot more in the long term than the short term pleasures of the now that sort of today's society is emphasizing in relationships, focus on purpose and virtue and intentionality in the relationships you are given. Right. And the concept of stoic love is somewhat counterintuitive where the love is I mean, really not the priority. Like you said, ultimately what it starts out with is your purpose and your virtue. So if you're somebody who's you know, out there looking for a strong relationship, it's okay to be looking. It's not okay to be chasing. It's not okay to be prioritizing because you have to prioritize your, the things you were doing, your habits, your purpose, the virtue you're trying to obtain. And I firmly believe that by simply doing that, you will naturally be inclined to meet a partner who matches with you. And that partner is going to share those similar values. You need to accept that partner fully. And ultimately, it will yield a healthy relationship. But my advice is this. While love is great and having you know a romantic partner is awesome, and the Stoics argued that marriage is the goal, ultimately, Stoics were indifferent towards love. While it was preferred, yes, and marriage was the goal, we can love ourselves, and we can be okay being alone, and ultimately, we need to not be consumed by love, but let love aid us in our journey to purpose, and that's the Stoic perspective on love from the Gen Z Stoic. 
So with that being said, as much as I hate it, happy Valentine's Day this week. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Hopefully the Chiefs don't win. This has been this week's episode on the Gen Z Select Podcast. Thank you for listening, as always.